have some good news and I have some bad news for you this morning. Uh, the bad news is that after all of these years, I've got nothing new to say about Easter. <laughs> the good news is there is nothing new to say about Easter because the message is still the same and it will always be the same. And that is the beauty of what we're here to celebrate. What's the big deal with Easter? <clears throat> I've been kind of dropping a few not-so-subtle hints over the past several weeks. But just to recap, since the moment of your conception, God chose to love you. And every moment since then, he has desired a close, personal loving relationship with you. However, like every other member of the human race, God's desire to have that unhindered relationship with us has been blocked by our very own sin nature, which creates a separation between us and a righteous God that we are wholly incapable of bridging on our own. And that's the essence of why we're celebrating today. Jesus, the very Son of God, came to earth to pay the penalty, to cancel out our sin that separates us from God, and to build a bridge to give us the opportunity to choose a restored relationship with God that no one can take away. Easter or Resurrection Sunday, is the day that we commemorate the fact that even though Jesus died an absolutely horrific death on the cross, even though he was confirmed dead and placed in a tomb, and even though he spent three days in that tomb, all on behalf of you and I, all so that you and I could draw close to God, and be received by a righteous God. He triumphed over sin and death, as we just sang. And he left the tomb through divine intervention. And to this very day, is seated at the right hand of God Almighty, pleading on your behalf. I know, and I'll touch on this in a moment, I know some of us brought serious hurt and heartache today. And I also know that this very moment, the risen Jesus is, I don't mean any disrespect, but he's chirping in God's ear on your behalf. He's saying, hey, remember your child. Be with them in this moment of need that they have. Every moment of every day, he's pleading on our behalf. I want you to just keep that in the back of your mind as I move through a few things. And I just invite you to indulge me. Um, I'm going to just review. I know we're familiar with the story, but I want to review a few things of what Scripture has to say to remind you of how that experience impacted some of those who were present when it happened. But I'm just going to read a couple passages of Scripture from several of the Gospels. In John chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, John writes, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So again, just recapping, Jesus is killed in a horrific manner, 
placed in a borrowed tomb, huge stone rolled across. Because of the Sabbath, they wait three days to go and actually give him a proper burial. And Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb. She saw that this stone has been removed from the entrance. And she came running back to Simon and Peter and the other disciples, the one who Jesus loved, referring to John, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So the tomb's empty. Mark chapter 16 puts it this way, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance to the tomb? It's like they got everything packed up, and they're going out there, and they have this light bulb moment that says, wait a minute, there's a giant stone in front of the tomb. What are we going to do about that? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, now again, just, just, just try to imagine what that was like in that moment. They're going to grieve the death of a close friend. They get there and the tomb's open, which shouldn't have been open. And they walk in. Now again, most of you know I'm a coward. I'm, I don't know that I'd walk in. But, but they go in. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Duh. You think that's an understatement? <laughs> they were alarmed. You think? I'd have been gone. But anyway. <laughs> He said, you're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So in other words, this angelic being is saying, hey, he told you this was going to happen. Do you believe him now? Go tell the disciples. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb And they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And then Luke tells it this way. Luke chapter 24. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Guys, you ever been there? I'm just saying. These women came back from the empty tomb, and they said, you're not going to believe what happened. And the guys nodded their heads and said, you're right. We don't believe you. No disrespect. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Again, you may be very, very familiar with the story, but just try to pretend like you're not. And try to wrap your head around what had to be swirling in their minds. All of the emotion of this horrific crucifixion, all of their hopes and dreams being killed on a cross, stuffed in a tomb, and now the tomb's empty and just doesn't make sense. 
I would contend to you today that every person that we just read about and every person who heard about these events in those early days had to answer the question, is it or isn't it? Is it or isn't it? Either the resurrection is a big deal that should transform our lives or it isn't. If it's a big deal, it's a really big deal and everything should change. If it's not a big deal, it's not a big deal, nothing should change. But I struggle to see the middle ground. We're told in John chapter 20, verses 3 through 8, the next few verses after what I read earlier, that John, one of the disciples, he ran to the empty tomb, and we're told in John chapter 20 that he looked in and he believed. He looked in, and in that moment, he said, it is. This is a big deal. We're told that Mary, when she confronted the risen tomb outside the tomb that day, we're told that she fell to the ground to grasp his feet in worship. She had that epiphany, that moment of, oh my, this is a big deal. And she fell down to worship him. I want you to consider a few of the others, familiar names from the from the Easter story. Uh, Peter. And to me, Peter is a reminder about the opportunity we have to overcome personal failure. Again, just to recap Peter's story without going into all the details, but Peter was one of the inner circle. Jesus had a bunch of folks following him. He had 12 that were following really close, and out of that 12, there were three that were just, they were the guys. They were the inner circle. And Peter was one of those. If you ask Peter, he would have gladly told you he was voted the disciple most likely to succeed, all right? He was the guy. And and he literally said in front of Jesus and his friends, you ever been with friends and they boast and you think, dude, what are you talking about? They're sitting around the table as, as Jesus is talking about what's to come and they're not fully grasping it. And And Peter says, hey, you know what? Even if all these other wimps run out on you, I've got your back, Jesus. I'm always gonna have your back. Yet when his leader, but more importantly, when his friend appeared to need him the most, he flat out denied him. Don't know the guy, never seen him, don't associate me with him at all. Not once, not twice, three times. And again, it... I would love to defend Peter because I'm probably like him in some ways. Not a lot, but some. But, I mean, I could see it. If there's a Roman guard with a sword to Peter's throat saying, No, I don't know Jesus. But it was a little girl around a campfire saying, He's one of them. No, I'm not. Getting in a little girl's face saying, I don't know him. And again, if you've seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ. There is this moment after the denial that Jesus and Peter make eye contact. And you can just feel 
Peter die inside. Because he gets it. I have failed my friend. And I can't undo it. The, the Bible doesn't go into a lot of detail about what was going on in Peter's heart in those days. But I have to believe he was just crushed. But we read that after Jesus came out of the tomb, he met with the disciples and they began to think, okay, maybe there's more to this story than we really understood. And then at the end of John's Gospel, in John chapter 21, there's a point when they decide to go fishing. Now, I've said this many, many times over the years. Some of us go fishing as recreation. And we think, oh, man, they're going to blow off a little steam and go out to the lake. No, their dream of Jesus leading whatever movement he was leading and changing the world had died with Jesus in the tomb. They haven't fully wrapped their head around all that the resurrection means. I personally believe, and this is just me, I personally believe they went fishing because they used to make a living by fishing. And they went to see if they still had what it takes to make a living because they knew they needed a plan B because their plan A just kind of went weird on them. And you know what? They realized they couldn't make it fishing. They, they flat out got skunked until there was some guy up on the shore. And he said, hey, guys, try the other side of the boat. It, you ever, are any of you really good at something? Are you? I mean, it's okay to say you are. You ever have somebody give you advice at something you're really good at who doesn't know what they're talking about? It's like, really? I Just butt out. I got this. They're fishing. They've worked hard and they're discouraged already. Now they're discouraged because they can't even catch fish anymore. What are we going to do? Go be a greeter at Walmart? I don't know. If you're a greeter at Walmart, I'm sorry if I just offended you. But uh, what are we going to do? And now you got some Yahoo up on shore telling us how to fish. But you know, threw the nets in. They caught a, not a boatload because it's just a real bunch of fish. And at that moment, Peter, who was out there in the boat, remember Peter, who was just crushed. He realizes that's not just some dude up on shore. That's Jesus. And he can't get to shore fast enough, so he jumps out of the boat and swims to shore. And he has some one-on-one time around the campfire with Jesus. And in that time, the power of the empty tomb restored him and released him to be a force in driving the message of Jesus forward. And I would suggest to you that by saying it's a big deal, Peter became the rock that everyone expected him to be. Friends, I I don't know all of your business. That's why I'm not on Facebook because I don't want to know all your business. But I do know Jesus wants to restore whatever in your life is broken. 
Then there's Thomas, overcoming a crisis of faith. You've heard me say it before. Thomas gets a bad rap, in my opinion. There was a period where Jesus wanted to go to Jerusalem, and all the other disciples are saying, because what do we know Thomas as? What's Thomas's name? Doubting. Doubting Thomas. All right. One bad choice, and he's labeled for his whole life, for all of eternity. It's wrong. Some of you know that I've taken a personality profile that links me with Thomas, so I'm defending him. I'm just putting it out there. Also linked me to Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. But anyway, um, take that for what it's worth. Too much information, I know. But there was a period when Jesus wanted to go to Jerusalem. And the disciples said, no, we can't go there. People want to kill you there. And it was Thomas who piped up and said, I'm going with him, even if it costs me my life. How come we don't remember Thomas for that? But we all know the rest of the story. Jesus is crucified, buried, he's resurrected. He shows up and reveals his resurrected body to the disciples. And guess who wasn't there? Thomas. Can you imagine the one time you miss a meeting and the resurrected Jesus shows up. And when Thomas gets back, then I will say, oh, you're not going to believe what just happened. And Thomas, doubting Thomas, said, I'll believe it when I can put my finger in the nail hole, when I can put my hand where the spear pierced his side, then I'll believe it. Crisis of faith. Well, don't ever give Jesus a dare, okay? Because <laughs> Jesus showed up, said, Thomas, give me your finger <laughs> right here. Put your hand right here. He went from wanting to fight for Christ to doubting the resurrection in spite of the testimony of his trusted friends. But after being convinced it's a big deal, he went from doubting Thomas to martyred Thomas. This man we all know as doubting Thomas literally said, I will die before I deny Jesus. And we call him doubting? Just putting it out there. From a faith filled with questions to a faith he was willing to die for. It's a big deal. Then James there are lots of guys named James in the Bible, just like around here today. This particular James reminds us about overcoming a shattered relationship. This particular James was the half-brother of Jesus. They had the same mother, but Jesus had God as a father, and James had Joseph as a father. Now, again, some of you have a sibling who kind of walks on the fringe. Don't elbow them, don't look at them if they're here, all right? But, but you, you know what I mean. James seems to be a pretty squared-away guy. And his half-brother, Jesus, is starting to talk a little crazy. He's going around telling people that he might even be the Son of God. And he's saying lots of outrageous stuff. And his family becomes concerned, James and Jesus' mother, become concerned that maybe they need to Pull Jesus away for some quiet time. 
literally questioning his sanity. And then, after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, James' half-brother Jesus schedules some one-on-one time with him. And James has a moment where he realized it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And he goes from questioning Jesus' sanity to becoming a respected leader in the New Testament church because it's a big deal. When the New Testament church was forming and they had some problems, they weren't getting along, they said, we need to have a meeting and somebody needs to get this sorted out. Who'd they look to? They looked to James. He'd overcome a shattered relationship. And then Mary Magdalene. Overcoming a roller coaster of hopelessness and loss. We're told in Scripture that before Mary Magdalene, and that's not her last name, that's where she's from. So she's Mary from Magdala, all right? Just in case you wanted to fill out a report on her, all right? (laughs) Apply for a credit card in her name or whatever. Um, Before she met Christ, we're told that her life was controlled by seven demons. And again, in Bible times, demoniacs were often blind, mute, prone to convulsions or violent behavior. Some lived in caves like wild animals, while others were slaves who earned income for their masters as carnival attractions. At the very best, they were social outcasts. But Christ, when he met her, drove out those demons and set her free and gave her hope for a purpose-filled life. So imagine, this poor woman is just in the depths of despair, not in control of her own life, and Jesus set her free. Can you imagine how ecstatic she must have been? If you can, you can also imagine how devastated she must have been to see him die on the cross. She had gone from the depths of despair to the peaks of hopefulness to the depths of despair and hopelessness yet again. Not to mention, she watched a man she loved and cared for deeply die a horrific horrible death. Watched him tortured. Watched him crucified. Watched him buried in a borrowed tomb. And then had to process the confusion of an empty tomb. Fortunately, her story does not end there. Her face-to-face encounter with the risen Christ allowed her to understand it's a big deal which gave her the opportunity to discover a hope that could never be taken away from her for all of eternity. No doubt, most of you have already figured out where I'm headed. Whether we realize it or not, pretty much every day, every one of us is answering the question, is it or isn't it? Is the message of Easter 
We may not think about it this way, but every day we're deciding. Is the message of Easter something that should shape my life and influence my decisions every day, or isn't it? Is it, or isn't it? Peter, Thomas, James, Mary, they didn't necessarily have it all figured out, but they chose to believe enough to say, it's a big deal, and let that belief start to shape their life. When John looked into the tomb and said, whoa, this is a big deal, I believe he didn't understand all that he believed, but he believed enough to take the next step. As I've alluded to, I know some of you are facing challenges. Some of them I know, some of them I don't know. Some of you may be grappling with a crisis of belief. Does God really know or care what I'm facing? Is everything really going to be okay? Duh, think about last year, Easter. Is everything going to be okay? Some of you know what it is to deal with terminal illness or have a loved one who is, or non-terminal illness that just sucks the life and the joy out of your experience and increases your stress. Some of you, I know, this moment are feeling the grief of losses that have happened recently, others' losses that have happened in the past, others' losses that you anticipate. Financial uncertainty, job loss, Job pressures, strained relationships, and concerned over loved ones. I just want to say today, very simply, if you're feeling any of that today, I'm here to remind you not of a new message, but of an old message. And that's that the tomb is still empty. Jesus did not come out of the grave to restore Peter, to reassure Thomas, to redirect James, and to refresh Mary, and then say, oh, I'm done, going back to the grave. That's not the way it worked. As I said earlier, he had a greater plan. He came out of the grave, triumphant over sin and death. He confirmed his resurrection to literally hundreds of people Then he ascended to the right hand of God the Father, where he remains to this day, pleading on your behalf for whatever hurts you have at this moment. He's saying, God, we got to help him. The tomb is empty. And I will say to you, it's only a big deal if you choose to believe it is. Doesn't matter what I believe. It matters what you believe. Is it? Or isn't it? For me, I say it is. What do you say? On Easter 2021, how will you answer the question? Is it or isn't it? On April 5th, 2021, how will you answer the question, is it or isn't it? On April 6th, 2021, how will you answer the question, is it or isn't it? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up now before I close in prayer. And we're going to do a couple of songs, and I'm going to come back up and close in prayer.
Just a couple thoughts before I close. Most of you have figured out by now I'm a pretty simple guy. And I would just suggest there are three responses today. One, the question is, is it or isn't it? You may be here today and you may say, you know what? It isn't. It's not a big deal. And that's okay. Don't take my word for it. If you're saying, you know, it isn't, do your own research and see what conclusion you come to. You don't have to take my word for it. Others of you, it may be, you've said a long time ago, it is. It is a big deal. And to you, I encourage you to just leave here today asking the question is of what do I need to do in my life to increasingly live like it is, like the resurrection is a big deal? Is there anything that needs to change to reflect the fact that I think it is? And there may be some of you who maybe for the first time are ready to say, you know, I never really thought about it that way. But it is a big deal. And I want to say that for the first time. So would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me in prayer? Again, if if you've listened to what I've had to say, I appreciate that. And if you think, you know, it's really not a big deal, I just encourage you to give it some thought. Ask some questions. And do a little investigation for yourself. The disciples ran and looked in the tomb. Thomas said, I I need some confirmation here. Do your own research. If you said it is, maybe a long time ago, maybe recently, just make a decision today to lean into that. But if you're here today and and you realize, you know what, I've heard about it. I've never quite thought about it that way. But today, for the first time in my life, I want to say, you know what? It is. It is a big deal that the tomb is empty. If that's a decision you want to make, I just ask you to make a very simple indication of looking up and making eye contact with me as your way of not saying to me, but saying to God, I believe it is. Today, I believe it is. Continuing in attitude of prayer for those who looked up and said, it is, I believe it is. I encourage you, what you've just acknowledged is that Jesus loves you and that he died to pay the penalty for your sin and that he wants to help you live a new life. I encourage you to continually be open to what he has to say to you and to respond to his promptings. You'll be just like all the rest of us in that you'll keep figuring it out. But don't ever stop. Don't ever stop saying, Jesus, I believe it is. Help me to keep figuring it out. And and today, Jesus, I believe that you didn't just die for everybody else, but today you died for me. And you're my Lord, and you're my Savior. And I thank you that Easter's a big deal. Father, on behalf of all of us, we say thank you that Easter's a big deal. 
and thank you that the day after Easter is a big deal and that you are always at the right hand of God the Father pleading on our behalf. So we celebrate today that it is a big deal. We celebrate that Jesus is worthy and we celebrate that Jesus is alive. Amen.